Welcome to episode 614 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast, brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I am Richard Cunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And Josh, we are going to start this week with um, a personal note to me from <laughs> one of our listeners. And, uh, well, how did, how did he send that? He sent this to us via email, and our email address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. And so you, too, could send personal notes to me or Just Josh <laughs> or feedback on the show. Anyway, right. Justin, one of our listeners, said uh, some feedback or rather a recommendation, perhaps more up Richard's alley here. And this is regarding my mentioned that I had listened to John Barrowman's biography. I don't know if you can call somebody who writes a book in the middle of his life, a biography or self-biography or whatever. But anyway. Memoir. Uh, memoir. Memoir. There you go. Memoir of the first half, maybe, of his life. Anyway, uh, he says, John Barrowman can sing. He's the same guy as Doctor Who and Torchwood, and he's also quite talented vocally. Recommend you check out this album. And he sent a link to a specific album, but actually John Barrowman has a few albums out, including a Christmas album, a Broadway album, a Best Of album, and uh, some other stuff on Apple I don't think you call it iTunes anymore. Apple Music. And I had, I don't know why I didn't make this connection, right? Like in his memoir, he's constantly talking about being on stage shows and singing <laughs> on stage. And it didn't even occur to me that he may actually have music out that you can listen to, which is awesome. So uh, thank you, Justin. I appreciate the recommendation. Question. Yeah. How many albums do you have to have published before you can publish a best of? Well, that's a good question because he only apparently published three before his best of, but you know. <laughs> it could that's be, amazing. I think if I understand this correctly, I think it's his best of from all the different shows that he's been in. Okay. That's fair. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, again, that email address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. And with that, we're going to get into some video news and somewhat unsurprisingly, starting with a story about our good friend Plex. Surprise. Oh, not a surprise because there's always news about Plex, but this is kind of cool. This is not big. So it's not like we're featuring this or anything, but this is really the only video news that we thought we should cover this week. Um, it's been kind of quiet over the last few weeks. So he, um, he, uh, whatever, uh, <laughs> Plex, he Plex. <laughs> right. I didn't know that the, the, uh, that yeah. those were the pronouns that yeah, Plex yeah. was using. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Plex has rolled out a new feature and this new feature is skipping credits. So previously, they had rolled out a feature for PlexPass customers that allows them to skip the intro to a show, which is pretty straightforward because the intro to a TV show is almost 
always the same until they realize that they can make more advertising by shortening or advertising money by shortening <laughs> the intro. But you're looking for the same thing each time in every episode of a show. And they decided to do the same thing for end credits, which is a little bit more tricky because different shows handle credits differently. Sometimes the shows handle credits differently as they go on. And most specifically, movies all handle credits very differently. So they've rolled this out and they've done something pretty clever, actually. They have a detection algorithm that will run locally on your library. Again, this is for PlexPass customers, and it will identify the start of the credits. Once it's done that on a particular title, it's going to anonymously report that title and the time mark for the start of the credits up to a cloud system that they manage that will retain that and then use that for anyone going forward who also has that movie. So basically the first person to analyze a particular movie is the one that's whose system is going to do the work to figure out, okay, where do the credits start? But once that's done, then it's just going to pull those down and check, is this movie in the database? Oh, okay, then we'll assign it this value, which is a pretty clever way of handling things. Now, I mentioned that this is only available to PlexPass customers, but it is available for all customers on all of their streaming libraries. So that's their streaming TV shows and their streaming movies. Can't skip commercials can skip credits. So that's cool. I, I, I do think this is a really cool feature. I, you know, the, the, the one part that you didn't really plug that I, I think is maybe the, the best descriptor of how this all works is they've done the work to even handle Marvel movies so that it can skip to the mid-credit scene and the post-credit scene. Yep. Yep. Now, I don't know how... They're doing that reliably because in some movies and non-Marvel Disney movies are notorious for this, they'll run like end scenes alongside the credits. So will you actually be able to see if there's a kind of picture in picture thing going on where they're showing outtakes or something like that? And I think it's going to be Interesting to see how well this does. Now, this is not something that's just going to automatically happen. You're going to have a skip credits button on the screen so you can decide whether or not you want to. And if you're watching a movie, for example, that you know has credits and you skip it and it misses them, of course, you can go back and watch them. What I don't know is, is there a mechanism for reporting those misinterpreted markers because that would be really useful if there is. Yeah. I didn't see anything to that effect about this. Yeah. I'm not sure how that would work either, but I'm, I'm also betting that for some of the really popular movies, like the Marvel movies, they've just gone in and done the work to make sure that that data is correct. That's, That's entirely possible. You know, I think of things like toy story and a bug's life and others where they, they just, they, you know, some of those scenes are some of the funniest things in the movie is like these fake outtakes that they created 
for these cartoon characters, right? Like, so yeah, I, I would like to believe that they've considered all of those. Yeah. The other thing that this will be nice for is if you are a typical, if you binge watch things on your Plex library, because we're used to Netflix and Amazon Prime. Right automatically skipping over the the credits to take you to the next episode in less than five seconds. It is crazy how fast it skips the credits nowadays. And now you'll get the same feature from your Plex server. And I think TV shows for the, I mean, I mean, it may not all be TV shows, but that's the one thing that this really does well is if you're watching a season of TV shows, Mm -hmm. it's just going to let you go quickly from one to the next, just like all the streaming services do. But maybe you're, you've even made a list. I I don't think Plex calls them playlist for video files. But yeah, you can do that. It's a you, playlist. You could, you yep. could make a playlist yep. of all of the Lord of the Rings movies and just sit down for 10 hours of Lord of the Rings movies. No pee breaks whatsoever. You'll save like an hour of time <laughs> by the skipping the credits at the end of each movie. This is true. <laughs> this is true. So lots of use cases here. I I think this is really cool. All right. So let's move on to our next story. And that is another one that I'm kind of excited about. And that is Spotify. I, I generally think that Spotify does a pretty good job of analyzing what music I'm listening, listening to regularly, and then giving me playlist curated towards the music I like. They call those discover playlist and they, they break them up into subgenres and stuff. And then you also have your release radar weekly playlist that comes out every Friday when all the new music that you might like comes out. That's the one I absolutely love the most. And there is one problem though, because if you use Spotify, not just to listen to music regularly, but maybe you use it to put on sleep sounds or focus music or occasionally kids oriented things and all of that are based on key playlists that you like to use for those types of things eventually those things will start to creep into your discover playlist because you're listening to them a bunch it makes sense it's doing what you're telling it to but i don't want it to do that and so they finally have a way of fixing that to some extent so the reason that i said if you're doing that through specific playlist is because they've solved this problem if you're listening through playlist. So if you're typically before bed, grabbing your phone, opening Spotify, searching the sleep genre and picking a particular sleep playlist. Now, if you tap the three dots, there'll be an option in the menu that says exclude from your taste profile, which I love that phrase, your taste profile, Richard. Yeah, And if you do that, it will stop taking music that is like that playlist and sticking it in the rest of your Discover Music playlist. I think this is fantastic. Yeah, this is a good first step. I'd like to see other action points for this. I'd like to see the ability to reject a song and then tell it why. And so, for example, if you hear something that's from an artist that you just don't want to hear ever, then when you're rejecting it, maybe it could give you an option, like options for why you're rejecting it. Just like all of 
the annoying recommendations that we get on Instagram that we keep on telling it we don't want. And there's a list of options that says, I don't want to hear from, or I, I don't want to see stuff from this person, or I don't want to see uh, this kind of content or what have you. And if, if they could also let you tune it that way on the spot, I think that would be a little bit more useful in addition to this preliminary setup where you're saying, yeah, exclude this, exclude this. You may remember, this is one of the reasons that I left Spotify. Mm -hmm. I left Spotify because there are a couple of Christian, largely Christian rock music groups that have some songs that I really like. And I would listen to them occasionally, and it ended up influencing my recommendations from Spotify so significantly that I kept on getting like a predominant amount of Christian rock recommendations. And that's not really what I wanted. I have nothing against Christian rock. I listened to some of those <laughs> songs. It's just not what I wanted to listen to most of the time. Right. And, and I couldn't untrain it. So this would be a really good way of helping that. The other thing, and this is probably the best use for this, is a problem that I wrote about a decade ago <laughs> when we were managing our own libraries on our own servers or our copies of things that we had up on cloud servers. And that's the Christmas music problem. Mm -hmm. I listened to a ton of Christmas music in November and December. And as a result, in January, everything kept on recommending Christmas music. I don't want to listen to Christmas music in January. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you yeah. got to be able to solve that problem. And this is one way that you could do that. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I have to think that they're close to this because it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to right-click on an artist and say exclude from your taste profile right. like sometimes or, or an entire um, genre or right? yeah th that would be cool too like there there are some times when i'm playing a song on spotify from my phone just to troll people i don't want to listen to more of these terrible songs <laughs> i just wanted to play this terrible song i just wanted to make people around me uncomfortable because it's, right because it's funny <laughs> right or or it, the the other example is like when your kids are like, I want to listen to this Disney soundtrack. I don't ever want to listen to this. I don't ever want this right. stuff to show up in my Discover playlist. Yep. But occasionally my kids are going to use my phone because we're in the car and it's my phone that is attached to the car stereo. Come on, admit it. You sing along with Let It Go, just like everybody else. Oh, gosh, no. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> No way. All right. So that's some cool news from Spotify. Maybe less cool, certainly more complicated news out of YouTube music. And they're adding a new feature to their radio feature where you'll be able to create a radio station, although they just call it create a create radio, which seems like weird grammar there. But uh, create a radio station effectively that can feature up to 30 artists of your choosing. So instead of like the Pandora model where you're like, play me songs like Taylor Swift or whatever, it's I want 
I want a radio station that's just these 30 artists that I really like. And then you can tune it even more. So you can say, I want just these artists, but only their chill songs or only their like really high tempo songs because I want to make a hard rock running playlist or something like that or a workout playlist or something like that. And this all sounds cool. And all of the customization could be nice, but it also seems like it has the very realistic possibility of being overly complex to deal with. Well, and I mean, we know how good Google is at creating really easy to understand interface. Oh, wait. Well, you know what? Honestly, I don't know how much you've used the Google Music interface. I think I've expressed my thoughts about it that I it seems a little bit too oddly intertwined with YouTube still. And I don't know how it is these days, but maybe it's better. Maybe they've figured this out in a way that would make it easy for people. Cause I like this idea. I think this idea is great. If I had a switch in my Pandora stations to say only play these artists and not stuff like these artists, I would probably do that, but that's disadvantageous to a streaming service that wants you to listen to as much stuff as possible. Uh, do they care if it's the same artist, though? Eventually, you're going to run out of that artist. I mean, maybe you're just pigeonholed to that artist, and that's okay, but the more artists that you like, the more music that you might try, and I, I think that that generally helps the streaming services. I, don't I, I suppose there's also a very real possibility that their licensing fees are different from artist to artist, probably more likely label to label. And so it's in their best interest to get you listening to music that they pay lower royalty fees on. That's why all the indie stuff comes up. <laughs> there's a very real possibility of that. And if that's true, it's working because I yeah. listen to so much more indie stuff now than I ever did before. Yeah. And I feel like my life is better for it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, if you've got YouTube music, go and check this out and let us know if you like the new feature. If it's if if it's uh, more on the side of like, yes, this is exactly what I want or more to the side of this is too complicated for me to use and I don't want to pick 30 artists. All right. And with that, we will switch to some gaming news. Richard, I really, really, really need this Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard to just be finalized already. (laughs) In what seems like yet another desperate uh, last-ditch effort to try and convince European regulators that Microsoft should be allowed to buy Activision Blizzard, Microsoft has signed a 10-year deal with NVIDIA to put Microsoft Studios games on NVIDIA GeForce Now. NVIDIA GeForce Now is, of course, uh, NVIDIA's competitor to Xbox Cloud Gaming. The One of the major... Well, there are really two major differences to these two services. One is that NVIDIA GeForce Now is PC game streaming, and that... It is a service that requires you to purchase the games on your own beforehand, whereas, of course, Xbox Cloud Gaming uses the Xbox Game Pass library, so you're limited to those games. 
but you don't have to pay extra for them. And so this this will allow lots of Microsoft Studios games to show up on the service, and some of them would be returning to the service. Bethesda games were actually specifically called out when The Verge got uh, a VP representative from NVIDIA on the phone to talk about it, which is interesting because when NVIDIA was first beta beta testing the GeForce Now software, there were Bethesda games on there. There were games from lots of publishers. And then almost immediately after it launched, Bethesda was like, nope, we're not going to do this, probably because of some sort of licensing deal. They didn't feel like they were going to be getting enough money out of this or something like that. And now this would be a way for people to get all of those Bethesda titles back on this PC game streaming service. It is a little bit interesting how this might all work, though, because the the most maybe the most important question that we want to know we don't have an answer to, and that is, how does Game Pass actually tie into this? If you have a PC Game Pass subscription, will you be able to play all of the PC Game Pass games through NVIDIA GeForce Now without doing and paying anything extra? Or will it still be a service that requires you to purchase individual games? So you want to play Fallout 4 on GeForce Now? Well, you got to buy it. I don't know. And they're not saying, they are specifically not answering that question. So we're just, we'll have to wait and see how they arrange that. But when Microsoft was going around buying all of these studios like Bethesda, they were saying, we want to do this to make these games exclusive to Xbox and Game Pass. So do they show up as part of your Game Pass library or do you have to buy them separately? We don't know. I'll be very curious to see how that works out. The other thing that I haven't seen anybody mention here is the the other benefit to GeForce Now over Xbox Cloud Gaming is the video quality. You can, if you're willing to pay $20 a month, you can get 4K streaming from NVIDIA GeForce Now using their top-end graphics cards. It's nowhere close to that through Xbox Cloud Gaming. So if you are definitely moving in the direction of wanting to just stream games from the cloud, GeForce Now is the service to check out if one of the things that matters the most to you is graphic fidelity. You're going to pay for it. Like I said, it's $20 a month. And that's $20 a month just to have the ability to stream games that you already paid for. And I don't. I don't say that to make it sound like it's not a good deal because $20 a month is still a lot less than buying a $4,000 gaming computer to play them on. So you're kind of picking and choosing where you're willing to spend your money there. I think it's it's a good option. So I'm really curious to see how this actually breaks down with Game Pass in the future. I'm confused about something you just said. You said it's twenty dollars a month to pay for something or to play something that you already paid for. Do you have to purchase the title to be able to play it in the GeForce Now cloud? Yeah, that that's how it works right now because oh, you okay. basically log into GeForce Now and also log into like your Steam account or your Epic Game Store account. Okay, and then games that you own are the ones that show up to be able to be played. Or free to play games. Like you can play Fortnite. I think you can play Fortnite and GeForce now. 
Okay. Almost positive about that. But other free to play games too. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. And then the other gaming story this week, this one getting a lot of press for dumb reasons. And that is that the Xbox February update is out. Really kind of small features. The one that I think is really cool, but this is the one that's getting all the dumb press about, is they're they're calling this the first carbon-aware gaming console ever released. And they're they're doing that because if you live in an area, this is a really another really interesting phrase, in an area with regional carbon intensity data. And I guess that means that they're measuring or like they know how is it that your electricity is being produced in your area? Is mm. it a coal plant? Is it a nuclear plant? Is it wind power, water, whatever? Um, if they have that data and you are uh, in a period of, of peak production, then of if you turn, carbon, like, well, uh, yeah, of carbon, like okay. if, if you could get your energy from like carbon and solar or something like that, a lot of times uh, just, well, just in like, let's just simplify this a lot. A lot of these uh, energy producers will charge you less or whatever to use energy at night because there's less people using energy at night. And so what the Xbox is doing here is if you're in one of those areas and your Xbox needs to do a system update or a game update and recognizes mm, right now, a whole lot of people burning fossil fuels to get their energy. How about we wait until tonight? And then overnight is when it'll consume more power to turn itself into a higher power consumption state, download and install all of those updates for you. There's no reason not to turn this on if everything still works correctly, which is kind of a big if, because even if you want to play all of the stupid political games that are going on with this news announcement about Xbox being woke now and all of that BS, like, oh, man, there goes our headline. <laughs> I thought I was being clever. Um, the thing is, even if even if you don't believe in climate change or any of that stuff, it doesn't matter. If you turn this on, you will spend less money on your energy bill because your Xbox will be consuming less energy. Yeah, like pennies so what? less, but less. Yeah, right. Well, it it consumes twenty times less power than the normal standby state. And yes, we're talking. It's using fractions of a watt per hour instead of 10 watts per hour and that is that doesn't cost you a whole lot but it is every little bit helps right and if you really if if you're far more on the other side of i want to do everything i can to help the environment then this other quote from their article is interesting they say for every two consoles that switch to shutdown mode which is the energy saving one for one year we will save the equivalent amount of carbon removed by one tree planted and grown for a decade. That's a lot. I, I think. <laughs> it seems like a lot. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's good. I, and I was just listening to something today, actually, about how, you know, carbon removal is great, but we should really focus on reducing carbon. That, as opposed that to, would be better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Right. The other feature worth announcing here, or, or at least talking about, is that they have furthered their integration with Google Assistant and Google Home. For years, you have been able to connect your Xbox to the, the Google Home ecosystem and be able to bark commands at your Xbox over to your Google Assistant speaker. Now they're adding it to the Google Home app itself uh, so that it this works very similar to like a Google TV device that you can use your uh, the Google Home app on your phone as a touchscreen remote for your Google TV. Now you can do the same thing with your Xbox. You get a touchscreen remote for your Xbox right inside of the Google Home app. Nice. Yeah, probably not something I'm like ever going to use, but it's a nice thing to have. Okay, and that's it for our gaming news this week. Richard, let's talk about what's going on in our entertainment centers. <sighs> yeah. So I decided because we were having so many problems with our Plex box that I was going to do some Plex spring cleaning. And Josh, I don't know what condition your Plex system and library is in or how much attention you give it anymore, but I basically ignore it until I hear that it's broken <laughs> or until I want to watch something myself. It's usually the former that happens first because I'm usually streaming stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had this more or less broken Plex box, and it was because, once again, remote network drives weren't pointing to the right IP address, and remounted USB drives were mounted in a different order. So USB 1 was now USB 3, and it just messes everything up. So I did the update everything move. I updated all of my software. I updated my Synology OS. I added storage to my Drobo N. I have a Drobo N where I have all of my movies and I have a Drobo first generation. I don't even know off the top of my head how old that is, but I think it's probably like 13 or 14 <laughs> years old, something like that. First generation Drobo had all of my TV series rips on it. And it has a maximum of eight terabytes. And man, those lights were red constantly because I was at that maximum. So I decided, all right, I will move all of that stuff over to the Drobo N. Takes a while to move eight terabytes of content between two USB devices. Well, one USB device and a network device. Eventually got that done. And then I took one of the spare drives that I took out of the Drobo, put it in my Synology. So now my Drobo and my Synology all have more storage, which is great. All my content's there. Now my content's in a different location. So now I have matching problems again on my content. <laughs> it matched it the first time, but it couldn't seem to match it this time. And I did, I did this the right way. The trick to matching, supposedly, meaning that you're finding the metadata for the content that you have is don't remove the items from the library when you take them off of the old location. Like copy them over to the new location, 
keep the old ones in place, let it scan the new ones by adding that location to your library, and it'll help it figure out because it has all the custom stuff that you already put in, and it helps it figure out, okay, what gets matched to what? Didn't work as well this time. I have some really classic examples. Let me just say that if you have kids in your home and you have green eggs and ham as one of the TV specials in your library, do not let Plex automatically (laughs) title this because it will find something extremely not (laughs) kid-friendly as the first title that it matches. Unless you have your file named Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. Otherwise, it gets named in your kid's library an expletive Green Eggs and Ham. Wow. I reported that one duplex. Whoops. And it's, <laughs> it's generally not their fault, except that the Nuplex agent is dependent on the sources that it uses. And there's a source out there that is not named very nice. So, yeah. So that screwed things up a little bit. And it got me looking into some of the other things. Like, why aren't these other things matching? And so I learned some things I didn't know that I wanted to share with people. One is a reminder, if you didn't already know it, that you can force a hint onto your file name or your folder name for content that tells it, tells Plex specifically what title you want this to match to, either something from IMDb, something from TVDB, or something from the MovieDB. And you can specify the the code number, the ID of this title in brackets with the prefix for TVDB EMDB or IMDB, and it'll force it to match it to that, which is a really nice feature. I've taken advantage of that, and I did a couple of those this past weekend. Another really cool feature, and I was having this problem crop up when I had the random stray old DVD rip still out in my library, and of course, Plex cannot play DVD rips, but there are other files there that might be interpreted as content. And so there's this, I guess I'll call it a, a, um, like a control file that you can create, a, basically a text file, and you call the file dot plexignore. No, nothing before the dot, just dot plexignore. And it's a text file where you put a bunch of like wildcards in it for the types of files you don't want it to pay any attention to. So if you have a subdirectory of something where you just don't, you have this on the same volume, but you don't want this to get scanned by Plex, you can put a .plexignore file in the root of that folder with a basically star dot star as your wildcard, and it'll tell it to ignore everything in that folder, which is a really cool feature. So I, I learned a lot more about Plex. This past weekend. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that these might be newer things because I was not aware of, of like the 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 Plex Ignore file, which sounds exactly like Git Ignore if you're a software developer. So that's a that's a really smart way of doing it. Really smart. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. And also explains why I didn't make that connection. <laughs> 
And then next up, while I was at it, I figured, you know what? I should re-set up channels. I had uninstalled channels when I was having problems with my Synology and I couldn't upgrade it. It was having, it was saying that I had too much space used in my system file area. And I don't even know what the system file area is on a Synology. But the advice was uninstall all your third-party stuff and then try it again after a reboot or two. And that did end up working, but then I never reinstalled channels. And largely we had moved over to using YouTube TV anyway, so I wasn't that worried about it. But after the couple of things that have happened with content just going missing, if they lose the license for the content, I thought maybe, just maybe I should actually set up a real DVR again. So I have channels DVR running again and is using my over-the-air antenna. And I think we talked about this before, TV Anywhere with YouTube TV as my authenticator, which still blows my mind that you can do that. And through TV Anywhere, it found most of the networks. So they all come up as streamable now, which is awesome. And I was a little bit surprised when I was playing around with this and trying to get it all set up on the TV in the family room. And Edward says, um, this is a new interface for TV. So first of all, he said, interface, which kind of surprised me that he even had that context. Like I wouldn't <laughs> have expected a normal person who's not technical to think about something as an interf interface, but he did. And I was like, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And the more that I started poking around at it, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, the older and less intuitive it seemed to me compared to what I've now become used to on YouTube TV. So this makes me hope that at some point in time, we get a little bit of an experience refresh on the channel's DVR overall TV experience, because that really hasn't changed much except for adding features in the last five years or so. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Interesting. And so is it the more like algorithm-based UI about YouTube TV that you like more, or is it something specific about just the grid interface differences between channels and YouTube TV? Yeah, I think it's a combination of that. Like, I don't like the here's what you can watch only in a grid of tiles. And then here's what you can watch only in a uh, time, a timeline. And Google has done a really good job of merging the two. Google has done a really good job of kind of putting a highlight bar at the top of here's what you would normally be watching right now. And just making those quickly selectable. And if you don't want those, you just scroll down and select something else. And it's really easy to do that. And so now back to Channels DVR, which has this page of all these tiles that I've never really liked and a very, very separate grid that just looks way less sophisticated than where UI design is right now for the television. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, combination of things. Okay. 
So those were my projects as far as what I was watching. It's been a while since we talked. When we got off of here, I uh, went downstairs two weeks ago and watched the State of the Union address because I'm a political junkie. And um, I followed up on the Snowpiercer season three thing that we were talking about last time. I had mentioned that I couldn't find season three. Well, that's because you can't find it. It's not available anymore. There is nowhere except for, believe it or not, Spectrum Cable streaming on demand that you can get this content. You can't buy it. You can't find it on any streaming service. I can't pay per episode anywhere. Really? It's not available. Is, is this one the season that- one, season two? Sure. Season three? Nope exclusively streaming on Spectrum and nowhere else. Is this one of the shows that HBO killed? It is one of the shows that TNT killed for the same reason that HBO killed it or killed shows, which is that they don't want to pay the licensing fees to the actors when it streams. That's why they supposedly killed season four that's already been produced, but they're never going to air it according to sources. Wow. So presumably that's what they're doing now also with season three, which is that's just crazy to me that you can't even buy individual episodes. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So, uh, I don't know if I'll ever get to see the end of that. I hope I do someday. That'd be nice. I got totally sucked into the last of us and Josh, I hope if you haven't started this, that you finished the first game so that you can (laughs) start watching this because, oh my God, this is good. This is so, so good. Maybe I should switch back to that. Maybe you should. I'm surprised that people aren't, people in your circles aren't talking about it. They are. They are. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. And I'm also listening to HBO's official podcast that accompanies it and episode by episode, they have an interview with, I believe the creator of the show, one of the creators of the game. And I believe the guy that played Joel in the game. Mm. So they're kind of talking through how it's different, why it's different and all of the kind of behind the scenes stuff. It's, it's so friggin' good. I am loving this show. Absolutely loving it. This is a gotta see it the night it airs show for me now. The the weird thing about this show for me is to to just see who in my community is watching this because it's it's almost everybody it seems, including a huge swath of the people that I know that have probably never even held a video game controller, <laughs> let alone right. played this game. Right, and they're and I think loving that's- it a sign of what a good job they did with this. Yeah. 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 That's really impressive. So we had been watching national treasure. I forget the subtitle for that. This is the Disney plus series based on the movies. We finished that. It was good. It was very good. I really hope that we get a second season. They haven't announced it yet, but uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this. We finished the second season of a Discovery of Witches, that's an AMC Plus series. There's a third season that we have to watch pretty quickly because I think at the end of the month, 
my AMC plus free trial with Verizon ends. I got a year of that with them as part of my initial Fios subscription, and that's going to end soon. Also, we're up to date on ghosts. I watched the first episode of season three of Picard. The season looks promising. It couldn't be worse than last season, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Continuing to watch Courtship of Eddie's Father. And guess what? Once again, I was wrong about the end of a TV season. Abbott Elementary season two didn't end. It just had a break. It just took some time off. It's back. <laughs> and so I'm watching new episodes of that as it's come back. And Ted Lasso season three. We've talked about this. When's it coming out? March 15th. We are going to get season three. We don't know if this is the last season or not. Maybe. We don't know. But in anticipation, as I have in the past, I am now rewatching season two so that I'm kind of like all caught up and in that warm, fuzzy Ted Lasso mode before we start the new season. So very excited about that. Also watched uh, two movies, Blade Runner 2049, which I had never watched before. It was fine. Nothing exciting about it. It, frankly, I think. I would say it disappointed. I don't know that it lived up to the hype that perhaps I gave it because I think Blade Runner was one of the great movies of my younger life. Uh, I think it was a fabulous movie and this is good, not fabulous. And then we rewatched a movie that we've seen a bunch of times on the Plex server, uh, The Mothman Prophecies, which is a... Uh, a movie version of a, I'll say a novel based on weird events that happened in a small West Virginia town several decades ago. So uh, it's a good film. It has Richard Gere and a bunch of ac other actors that you would recognize. And then finally, still listening to Zero Fail. That's the book about the Secret Service. And I am up to the Reagan assassination attempt. And let me tell you, listening to all of these significant events that the Secret Service has gone through in its history, including, of course, the assassination attempts, is a surprisingly upsetting experience mm. to kind of specifically, like Ivory, the Reagan shooting is probably one of the, maybe the second or third thing in my life that I can think of, of, I remember when I heard this. Yeah, I know can where I, I was. I know who told me. I, I know of one in front of it. I can't think if there was another or not. Um, what? I, I, well, I would guess 9-11 and the Challenger explosion. Oh, but, but those were all after. Oh, you mean before? Those were all after. Before this. So okay. there's yeah. there's only one specifically before that I can think of. I, I couldn't remember if there were one or two. Um, I totally remember the moon landing. Really? I remember sitting in front of the television. My mother had me sitting in front of it because she did not want me to miss this. Yeah. I didn't think you were old enough for that. <laughs> I am old enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that much older than me. Apparently you are. And I know how old you are. I just yeah. suck at math. So it's kind of like reliving these experiences, but hearing about it from the inside, which is fascinating. That, and, and that's a podcast, you said? 
No, no, this is this is a nineteen hour long audiobook that I'm listening to. Oh, it's a book. Okay. And and the book is yeah. called Zero Fail. Zero For anybody fail. who's super interested in, in what he's talking about here. Yep. Okay. Interesting. <sighs> All right. A lot of stuff. Josh, can you beat my time there? Uh, if by beat, you mean do it shorter than almost definitely, <laughs> uh, which is pretty much always the case. So gaming, really nothing interesting here. Some Call of Duty, some NHL, and a whole lot more Vampire Survivors. Kind of didn't find much time for that in the previous month. But man, it has been a really good go-to game for me for like, I'm not going to play a multiplayer game with my friends right now. And I just want to chill. Uh, Vampire Survivors has been great for that. Last of Us. Last of Us. Oh, Last of Us. Yeah, but see, Last of Us, even if I get into Last of Us, here's the problem, Richard. I will want to watch it. On my OLED, Jen will not want to be anywhere near that show. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and, and for shows, for shows like that, like I, I think what I'm going to end up doing is, I also, when I'm watching TV and movies, especially like really well done things like that, I'm not talking like sports or news or any of that sort of crap where the sound typically doesn't matter. For shows like this, the sound matters, right? It's why we have nice sound systems. I can't crank them up during the times that I would be watching right. without Jen. Because the kids are sleeping. But you could do the headphone thing. So I, or- yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of pairing some older Bluetooth headphones um, yeah. with my TV so that I yeah. can do that more. Also, it's worth saying, like, if your concept of what this might be like is... Um, the walking dead, <laughs> forget it. Right. This, it's not nearly as like gore. Their use of the infected is, is very discreet. They, they use it for very specific purposes at specific times. And 95% of the time, more than that, you're not seeing anything that even remotely looks like an infected person or creature. Right. Right. No, but Jen doesn't like really intense things either. Oh, it's intense. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's not happening with Jen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, that's it on the gaming side. I watched the Super Bowl since the last time we talked. And oh, yeah. I streamed it. Streamed it all. Uh, it worked great. It. I, I had almost zero issues. I had a couple of minor like... I'm going to like micro buffer for like a half a second here. And that, and that was it. And I realized like four days later, uh, well, I, I should mention, I, despite the fact that I've lived in this house for a year and a half now, still have not run Ethernet to my TV. So my NVIDIA Shield, my Xbox, they're all running on Wi-Fi. Yeah, me too. So, so this is on Wi-Fi. And... Like a week prior to the Super Bowl, I had turned off the five gigahertz radio on my Wi-Fi because I needed to set up a, a crappy smart home device that can only connect to 2.4 gigahertz radios. So it streamed the Super Bowl in 4K with no hiccups over my 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi radio. I was really impressed. Yeah, that's pretty good. It looked really good. No issues. Um, the game was fine. The commercials sucked. Um, the game was fine. Most people I talked to thought it was great. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it for a Super Bowl, it was a really good game. Okay, yeah, yeah, but it's also teams that I don't actually care that much about. And, 
which is pretty much always going to be true because I don't think the Lions are ever going to make it to the Super Bowl. Whatever. Uh, watched a little bit more Expanse, but not as much as I've been wanting to or as much as I was doing previously because I injured myself again uh, in my in my running, in my training program for this half marathon. And both times that I've injured myself, I've been on the treadmill. I don't mm. know if I'm doing something wrong on the treadmill, you know, other than watching TV. So I find that was last Tuesday that I hurt myself today, a week later, it was my first attempt at running again. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to risk it today. I'm going to run outside. We'll see how it works. I would like to get back to my treadmill and watching some TV on it sometimes. So we'll see. Um, Of course, if I do hook up headphones to my TV, maybe I'll get back to watching the expanse that way too. And then like you, Jen and I are rewatching Ted Lasso. Although we're starting at season one, baby. Like, it's all so good. Like, why not just start from the very beginning? I hear you. Yep. Yeah. I've yeah. watched season one three times through now, so I can't <laughs> I can't go back and watch it again. I think this is only our no. Yeah. I think this is it. This is only our second time watching it because Yeah, probably. I think we watched season one shortly before season two came out. Mm-hmm. That's when we got into it. So Cool. Yeah. So that's it for me on what I've been playing and listening to and watching. Um, I might like this might get a little bit different for me over the next few weeks. I, uh, you know, at least, well, in in many parts of the world, there's a, a tradition around this time of the year to give something up for Lent, whether you're doing it for spiritual reasons or, or cultural reasons. And I don't know. Are you giving up podcasting? I'm not giving up podcasting. <laughs> no, that would be bad. But I, I, I have decided, and we're actually recording this on Fat Tuesday, the day before Lent begins. I'm going to significantly cut back the amount of podcasts that I'm listening to because I like outside of work and sleeping and hanging out with other people. I'm basically listening to podcast the entire time I'm awake. And it's maybe not the best thing in the world for me. It's not that like the content is bad or whatever, but like sometimes you just need time with your brain and your own thoughts. And I I don't do that all that much. So I'm going to significantly cut back my podcast. And I think audiobooks too, like it would be real easy for me to be like, well, I'm not listening to podcasts anymore. So I'll just listen to a bunch of audiobooks. That seems like it would defeat the purpose. So probably scaling back those too, which means I won't have as much to report on what I'm listening to but we don't generally talk about podcasts that much anyway so no i think that's healthy though i had to scale back dramatically because i felt the same way when i kept on reporting that i'm behind i'm behind because i'm trying to listen to too much right so just like trim so i had to trim make some hard decisions yeah yeah so we'll see how that goes all right well that's it for uh all of that part of the show. If you'd like to get a hold of us or find uh, all of our show notes, all of that stuff, all of the information, uh, links to every story that we talked about, all of our contact information is over at the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com. You can follow us on social media. I'm Josh Pollard on Twitter and Mastodon. The website is Digimediazone on Twitter. And Richard is 
only on Mastodon now. So he's Richard Gunther on Mastodon. Are you still the only Richard Gunther on Mastodon? As far as I can tell, yeah, yeah. it so, seems to be the case. Easy to find him also. Where I, I And the last time I checked, I'm the only Josh Pollard on Mastodon. Yep. And uh, we did the show live again. We recorded it. We in uh, on the night that we always record it, right, Richard? We always record on Tuesday nights at eight thirty p.m. Eastern, all the time, or at least we say that we do all the time. <laughs> we always record it on Tuesdays, except for the weeks that we record it on Wednesdays. Right. So follow us online, and we usually will post to social media about when we're going to be recording, or just show up some night and follow us on Twitch, and then Twitch will also notify you when. The stream goes live. Well, that's going to do it for episode 614. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.